Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Kate White for part one of their two-part discussion on the impact of pre- and perinatal experiences on attachment. Part two will be released on October 27th. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am Karen Doyle Buckwalter, your host, joining you here from Chaddock for another episode. Today, we're going to be speaking about a fascinating topic with Kate White. Our topic for today is the impact of pre- and perinatal experiences on attachment. And I'm really looking forward to introducing all of you to Kate. Let me tell you a little bit about her background. Um, She is a uh, cranial sacral and massage therapist, a prenatal and early childhood educator. And she is trained in various somatic therapies, prenatal and perinatal health, lactation, brain development, infant mental health, and has specialized in mother-baby dyad care using somatic prevention and trauma healing approaches for nearly 20 years. Uh, Kate uh, has uh, a BA and an MA in communications and is a registered cranial sacral therapist in the biodynamic cranial sacral method. And she is a somatic experiencing practitioner. And I know uh, many of our listeners are probably uh, familiar with somatic experiencing approaches. So her work could combine somatic therapy with brain development to give families with babies and small children the best possible start. She is the founding and former director of education for the Association of Prenatal and Perinatal Psychology and Health, uh, where she served from 2013 to 2019. And while there, she created a world-renowned prenatal and perinatal educator certificate certificate program, a large online educational program for professionals as well. She is currently a mentor in this program, teaches classes online and in person around the world. Um, The program is called the Integrated Prenatal and Perinatal Dynamics Program. She also uh, runs a private practice and offers her own seminars through the Center for Prenatal and Perinatal Programs. So I uh, hope you will stay with us and I will be having Kate join us in just a minute. Again, our topic is the impact of pre and perinatal experiences on attachment. Well, everybody, I am pleased to be able to introduce to you uh, Kate White, who's going to be here with us today talking about this fascinating topic of the impact of pre and perinatal experiences on attachment. Thank you so much for joining us, Kate. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I was, uh, just to share with you listeners, I was recently in a wonderful training that Kate did with Chaddock's Caregiver Connections Program, and in that program, we have people who provide mental health consultation to daycare providers, and so that is kind of how I got to hear some of your wonderful work, Kate. That was a really fantastic training that you did for us. Yeah, that was really 
really fun for me. And I, I always get very touched when people ask me to talk about the work and teach them because there is a lot to teach. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was sharing, you know, before we started that I did uh, let people know your more formal bio and some of uh, your background and education and training. But I also like to ask guests, was there something personal that well, maybe I should be saying, are you conscious of something personal? Because, right, there's always something personal that drew, drew us to this work. Uh, but is there anything that you would like to share about what, from a personal perspective, drew you to the type of work you're doing? Yes, it's, um, it's a good question. And often in the pre- and perinatal realm, there is something personal I mean, that, that brings us. So the personal and professional come together. Often... Um, for people who discover our paradigm, it has to do around their own childbirth, giving birth themselves, or coming across the evidence of the, of the early par paradigm that babies are conscious, that babies are aware and sentient. And for me, that moment was a woman that came in my office. She was referred to me for the biodynamic craniosacral therapy and body work. And she read my intake form at the time and there's a question on there that what was your birth like? Because in our paradigm of working with the body, especially the cranium, we know that the, that the compressions and the force of birth is registering in the body. Like the birth is a never ending event. It's a lifelong event. It's always reporting our earliest experiences. And for the longest time, people didn't believe that. Mm -hmm. and, and now they're, now they're getting it. They're believing that yes, these early experiences do register in our bodies, and they, in fact, they inform our neurosequential, you know, adaptation sequences. They they inform the way we learn, the way we see the world, the way we come into relationship, all these things. So this woman, she said to me, you know, I'm I'm here for really for for you know really palliative care for trauma, but um, what I think is that this lifelong depression I've had has been because of my birth. And, and her, she, her birth story was that she was a very big breech baby who nearly died during birth. And so did her mother. They both survived. But while I was holding her and working with her body, I began to have panic attacks. And I had no idea why. And so I, when I called up the pioneers at this time, this was over 20 years ago now, mm -hmm. they, they said to me, well what was your birth like? And it turns out that my birth was also a big breech baby with a near-death experience. So somehow the level of shock in her body was igniting the shock in my body, and I had no idea that could happen. And um, that set me on a lifelong journey until I'm sitting in this chair with you talking. I mean, you saw what I presented at that in-service where you got a chance to be, but I it's taken me 20 years I really have plumbed the depths of understanding the baby's experience. And that's the personal story. That's what got me down this path. Wow. I'm, I'm riveted by the statement, um, <laughs> birth is a never-ending event. I mean, wow. That's like really a profound statement. And, you know, I think you know, maybe before we even go into some of the specifics of your work, let, let's talk about this idea of 
what pre and perinatal psychology what kind of woo woo is that you know you're yeah. you're saying it's more accepted now and i think yes. for for someone for someone um, interested in attachment theory or, you know, Michael Trout has been one of my main mentors. So to me, this is like, of course, you know, but I'm wondering if some of our listeners are thinking, what in the world? And I would like to know what you would share with them about that. Right. Well, you know, I have been teaching um, really on every level that I could since 2003. Yes. That was when we were just understanding attachment and its implications in lifelong health. Yeah. Even even though we'd studied it since the fifties, we do we were just getting, oh, this is informing how our couples relate and and we can track it as it comes across in the generations and we know that we can predict attachment styles and people went into the nuances of it. I mean it was really great. And then then there was mirror neurons, blah 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 those and I was teaching and, and attending to the mother-baby dyad all during that time and holding space and learning, going ever deeper with our luminaries and pioneers to try and understand this, these, this, this paradigm. And, and then now it's, then it started showing up in the, in the baby laboratories, um, that babies are sentient, that babies are conscious, that babies are intelligent see Alison Gopnik show up on documentaries and say these scientists in the crib I mean they don't come out of the of the womb just all of a sudden being curious and have capability they have that in utero yes well so um well I think the thing I'll say to your listeners if you know we could go we could go into the minutia or in Mm -hmm. the weeds as they say yes but I will say that I was at a a fetal brain symposium with the Fetal Brain Institute from Children's National Hospital in the fall. And to see these these amazing PhD MD laboratory researchers standing up there with slides saying we can talk to babies in the womb and it makes a difference, Hmm. that how we are conceived, how we make, um, make our homes inside our mothers, with our placentas and um, the way we develop our nervous system, the impact of the mother's experience, all impacts our impacts our neural development. I mean, it took my breath away because I've been standing in front of audiences for 20 years, and to have them sometimes they would, you know, look bored or look, get angry or get up and walk out. And now, now they listen. Now there's now there's people like Catherine Monk at the Columbia University or Martha Welch or um, you know. Patrick Wadwa uh, or uh, his, and his and his prodigies all standing up with their research saying, yes, the, you know the lifelong health of our people uh, really starts with the baby's experience of, mm. of of coming into form, pregnancy, and being born. So affirming for you to hear this, you know, um, based on you know all the work you've done around this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that I went into sort of this um, big, big mode after I saw that they they say now that how we are born and how we are received and then our earliest experiences can influence the expression of huge mental illness, which you know, heavy schizophrenia and bipolar and autism and um, you know some of the major other mental or you know, I guess you guess you call them psychological um, challenges like narcissism and bi- and 
uh, what's the one you border borderline. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I saw all the research there and then the impact of the microbiome on the brain and all these things that can start when we're babies. And of course you and I know, and those of you who are out there listening for your podcast know that attachment and bonding starts when we're babies. Mm-hmm. So all, all this can be actually prevented and treated right away. If we can really understand that how we are conceived, carried, and born, and then come into relationship after birth, it really, it really matters. It can make yeah. a huge difference in our yeah. neurodevelopment. Yes, yes. Well, you know, and I know one of the things that you talk about specifically is explicit and implicit memory and how prenatal and perinatal somatic psychologies approaches, they offer a more holistic view of of memory and learning and all of this. And I would love for you to share a bit about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, that was a part of the um, presentation because understanding explicit memory are things that we can cognitively remember, but implicit memory are those things that happen in our bodies before we explicit memory comes online. Now that the left side of our brain doesn't start to report necessarily until we're I mean, between 20 and 24 months when language starts to come online. But we know that we're registering language and we're registering our experiences of our environment starting in utero, that all of our neurons in our brains, there are developed and in there, they start to synapse actually before we're born. Um, And we know the conditions, like I was just narrating, the conditions of our earliest experiences also inform you know how we are how our expressions in life if we are um small for small for gestational age or we have a placenta that's not well developed or we have other scary things that happen in utero which lie in mystery for a lot of us unless you're trained to see it um all these things register in our body and the saying like the genes are the carpenter, but experience, the genes are the architect, but experience is the carpenter. That's, that's the way of it. So um, one of my favorite researchers at that conference said, we have to get a lot more granular about our environment, which means how we care for the babies. Mm. So implicitly, it's all in our bodies. It's, it's how we come into form. It's our, in the polyvagal theory, all these things that you all know out there that, our biochemistry, our co-regulation with our families and our mothers, all registers in our body. Yes. So that's the implicit memory. And so, of course, we're going to remember how we're born. And for a long, for the longest time, people are like, there's no way you can remember all these things when you're babies. But the truth of it is we do. We do. We take it in through our neuro, our neuroendocrine system, our brain, our limbic system, our brainstem, our bodies, our movements our sensations, all that is, it's, it's in our body. And so it's a somatic paradigm that informs our mind. And the newest research is what I presented, which is how memory is stored, not only in the brain, the hippocampus, but also in the nucleus of neurons, which are um, throughout the body. Yes. Yeah. We have to understand that remembering through language is not the only way of remembering yes and um you know i think that we have this idea that um you know and even when we look at treatment like like the idea that you could just talk about something um and that's how you would resolve 
resolve it. You know, that's kind of the typical therapy paradigm, not for a somatic experiencing practitioner, of course, but I'm saying the idea out there, the talking cure, you know, and so we run into two issues here. One, it's, it, it didn't happen when you had language. And so you can't access language to talk about it. And so, you know, how to work with these implicit memories. And I think it's such an important thing that we're learning about in the field mm-hmm. right well that that when i presented to you all um i think it was this last week i um i mentioned the book trauma and memory which yes. is my favorite book by peter levine and yes. in, that, in that book he unpacks three case studies and one of them is a is a breech baby a baby born um and how he um, works with that baby's um nervous system how babies will have gestures and protective sequencing that they want to go through and and often babies will think that oh this was intended this painful thing and it will create a rupture in the relationship with the mother so he brought them into relationship and helped the baby make sense of their birth experience and then the baby was able to be held in bond with their mother in a way that that really was health promoting because he was constantly defending himself thinking that his mother was you know this was part of what was intended for him when it really wasn't that's the that's the cool thing about this paradigm is that it's very what happens often is very impersonal but then can be taken very personally like yeah like you said is there a personal thing like, yeah they almost all of us come to it because of some personal thing but actually it's, it can be quite impersonal. It can be a difficult birth. It can be a placenta that's, um, that ruptures. It can be, um, you know, it can be a, a uterus that happens to be bicornet or the loss of a twin in utero, which is very common. Or, you know, some kind of other difficulty, preconception, or even something that comes through the transgenerational, through the ancestors. So it's, that's the paradigm right there. I just named a lot of things that are in it. Yes, yes, yeah. So talk to um, about talk to us about a, a really fascinating concept that you teach about called birth sequence, mm-hmm. or how birth sets up the way we respond to stress and transitions, because I think that is just so fascinating. Yes, well, this is something that we teach a lot. And I just want to name my um, people that I've learned from Ray Castellino, Mary Jackson, Tara Blasco, Myrna Martin, William Emerson, and also, you know, there's Bruce Perry and other trauma specialists that know that that there is a sequential way that we develop. And there's a lot written now on developmental needs. We have developmental needs at certain stages of our development. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the birth sequence, the way we have documented that, and we being those of us who are in pre and perinatal somatic therapy, is that as the baby makes their way through the pelvis, so it corresponds to a sequence of intention, preparation, action, follow through, and then rest. It corresponds directly with the intention to be born, entering into the inlet of the pelvis, making our way through the pelvis, coming into the outlet, and then being allowed to rest upon our mother, which is more frequent now than ever um, for integration. So 
that's the sequence. And what I talked about in that training is that often we have interruptions in the sequence. And one of the mind-opening things for me, besides studying embryology, which, you know, it can be very impersonal, like to come into form and then be able to try and make our home in our mother, that's implantation, to say that there is something in the womb like a fibroid. I mean, I mean that's not anybody's fault, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, if you are trying to make your way through the pelvis, there are four maternal pelvises, and some are much more difficult to get through than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have a real challenge um, in the in that whole sequence, say you got stuck um, coming into the inlet and you had to have a cesarean section, or say you struggled for a long time through the pelvis, um, and then so that your mother had to have anesthesia, that's an interruption. Or say you were born and there was a lot of instruments that were used to help you, whether you needed them or not, um, at the outlet, um, which is where forceps or often vacuum assist, and a lot of manual, like people will man- very be very manual with babies at that stage, thinking they have to really pull the baby. When birth is really set up to happen all by itself, um, there's a way that uh, we intervene a lot in birth. And so the way it can show up is um, in patterns. So you just have to ask yourself, how do you make transitions? And how do you go to work, for example, or take a trip? And what I had your group do is look at how they take a trip. And are you a big planner? Planning is a preparation phase. I'm a, I'm a big planner. I like preparation. I like research. I like, that's where I get really, really creative. And then, you know, I have, I'm pretty prepared. I love action. So how do you complete, how is it that you take a journey? Are you very anxious? Are you exhilarated? Do you enjoy it? Do you shut down? I mean, these are all questions you can ask yourself. And then as you get to the end of your journey, what do you do? Do you unpack right away? Do you collapse? Do you just drop the suitcase and run out because it's so exciting? And, um, and that's how you complete anything, like write a research paper or even get out the door. I told stories about my family getting out the door. So when you're working with children, and that's why I was invited to be a part of the caregivers, it's like you're looking at children. Children have difficulty with transitions. Now, why is that? Why is that? Does anyone stop to wonder? Well, it depends on the birth sequence, perhaps. They're pretty close to that experience. How is it that they come into the classroom? How is it that they separate from their mothers and their caregivers and to go in the hands of a, inside a, of a caregiver room? Now, if you're a caregiver and you have a big um, sort of a child development center, you'll know every child is kind of different in how they sequence how they go into an activity, how they come out of an activity. And if you've had a life-death experience at birth, it's going to show up in how you sequence from one thing to another. And um, I used to run a healing arts center in Vermont, and I would have mothers bring their children so we could just observe and watch how they played. And it can, it can be showed up in how a child wants to get to a toy and experience that toy and then transition off to another toy. So... It can be it can be quite uh, profound once you begin to to look at your how you sequence how you feel about that 
And of course, their biological expectations as we go along our neurodevelopmental sequence, like we have to you know, be conceived before we make a body. That's part of the sequence. We, we have to enter into the inlet of the pelvis before we come to the outlet. And um, our, how we build relationship, of course, is layered in there. It's how we come into relationship with our mother and our environment. And all these really impersonal things happen, like, oh, the baby's not breathing well. It, we think the baby needs to go to the NICU. That's a big separation for a baby. All of a sudden, the baby's world is so changed. To us, we think breathing and being in our body, of course, we've been doing it for all these years. But for the baby, all of a sudden, their environment is totally changed. The sound is so bright. There's cold temperatures. There's wind. There's other noises that we don't know what they are. And where's our mother? Where's our world? It's been abrupt change. And if we can ease that, like I'm so pleased to see the baby-friendly hospital movement because babies at least can stay with their mothers. And yes. that's, there's a way that, that the whole newborn nursery has gone in, into the background. And we now know that it's much better to keep babies with their mothers. Yeah. I was struck by your statement um, of how we intervene so much in birth <laughs> and have made it more like a medical procedure than a natural process. Um, what do you have to say about all of that? Well, I think that that's built over time. I mean, I tried to make sense of that too. Like I've read all these books and if you look at the history of birth, a lot of the way we got to this place has been because women wanted it. They want, but that's historical. That's historical, how we got here. And then it's been built into our system to the point where we think that that's what's needed for birth. And sometimes it truly is, right? Yeah. I, I've, used, I've worked with a midwife for six years and I saw the judicious use of pain medicine and interventions. And I've met babies who've said, thank God for the C-section. You know, the moms are in grief, but the baby's like, hey, man, you got me out of there. I like that. Thank you. You know, but so, you know, we are at a stage now where for the neuro, like for the neurodevelopmental researchers I told you about, the brain, fetal brain, mm -hmm. they, they know babies have experiences. For, for those of us who work with the nervous system, we know, yes, babies do have experiences. Yes. Um, but the last place it's showing up is in medical schools and in the way we receive our birthing families. And I do think there's inroads in there too already with the birthing, like the, the baby-friendly hospitals. But we still have hospital protocols. We have ways things have been developed. These things are changing. I see them changing in my lifetime, which I never thought I would. I mean, I've been at this a long time, and I thought, mm -hmm. this is going to be hard. But I, I, I think that people are getting it. And to see Netflix put out a whole, a whole uh, movie series about babies, I mean, it won't be long before they're making movies about our really sentient, perceptive babies um, starting pre prenatally, and they already are. They're already seeing how receptive babies and interactive babies can be in utero. So it, it really has been a development. And when you look at the history of it, you'll see that the reason why we haven't gotten here sooner is because we didn't know. 
we didn't and now we know from looking at ultrasounds and from research and from and from those really brilliant people like Alison Gopnik and other you know psychological professionals they they know that there's things that can happen for us as babies that have lifelong implications Yes, yes. Oh, it's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I see uh, we're, we're about uh, 30 minutes into our chat. And so um, we are going to take a short break here as we prepare to move into part two of this mm-hmm. podcast and talking maybe a little bit more about sequencing and also like specific examples of how you have seen behavior impacted by that in case studies. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to keep going with our discussion. Well, thank you. This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Kate White on the impact of pre and perinatal experiences on attachment. Part two will be released on Tuesday, October 27th. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.